Hey, this is Sam Howells, presenter and producer of The Profile Podcast. Over the next few weeks, we're bringing you these bonus episodes where my colleague Andy Peck chats to the best and brightest experts on Christian leadership. Andy has spent 17 years conducting these brilliant conversations. We're bringing you the very best of them in these special midweek editions of The Profile Podcast. Andy Peck, over to you. You are minding your own business in your home when you notice that the house across the street seems to have an unusual number of visitors who seem to be going in and out very freely. At times, the door is wide open. It doesn't seem that the lock is ever used. You become especially alarmed when you realise that the mum and dad have left the house in the car earlier that day, leaving their children playing in the garden, and so seem to be home alone as these various visitors make their way in and out. Given the volume of people that can't be relatives or church members uh, and when the pattern seems to be repeated day after day you start to take a very dim view of the parents and become concerned for the safety of their children well this modern day parable describes how life is with the advent of the internet and the smartphone many children and teens are literally exposed to anyone and anything with parents completely oblivious to what is going on with 91 percent of 12 to 15s Owning a smartphone and children much younger having access to digital devices, we are facing an alarming situation. One day we may look back on these days and ask, what were we thinking? I'm delighted that Catherine Hill joins us. She's the UK Director of Care for the Family and author of Left to Their Own Devices? Confidence Parenting in a Post-Pandemic World of Screens. And so the release of the third edition of the book provides us with an occasion to chat about how the digital revolution impacts home life and our lives in general. So, Catherine, fantastic to have you along. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, Really good to be with you. So uh, let's talk first about the reason for writing the book and, of course, for producing a third edition. You presumably wrote it a few years ago. Yes, it's quite soon, really, to have written a third edition to a book that was only first came out in 2017. But the reason I wrote it in the first place was I was increasingly concerned, particularly at Care for the Family, at the number of parents that were asking us for help in how to navigate the digital age. So brought out the first edition and then uh second edition because technology had changed and then of course the pandemic has changed everything to do with our relationship with technology it's actually been a lifesaver but as I'm sure we'll explore in a minute there's a shadow side as well and so really on the back of the pandemic um, we wanted to bring out a new edition that dealt with some of the challenges and that dealt with some of the advantages as well and put uh, practical solutions in parents' hands to help keep their children safe and use the internet well. Brilliant. And uh, your own family situation? You're a mum? I am a mum. I'm also a granny. Um, During the pandemic, we have had uh, four grandchildren. Oh, (laughs) gracious. um, We have four children and um, three of them are married with, with, uh, with little ones. So we've got right across the spectrum so one that's just a couple of months old going to two and then adult adult children as well so um yeah i'm married to richard and uh, we live in bristol fantastic well uh, congratulations on uh, on the, that milestone of being a granny so despite my introduction focusing on the negatives uh, your book looks at some of the benefits of the dig- digital revolution as well as the drawbacks so maybe you could kind of outline what you see as a state of play with regards to 
a screen-focused world? Yeah, I think if we've learned anything in the pandemic, it has been, well, first of all, it's been that change is here to stay, that we're not in control of our lives. But also, I think we've come to appreciate some of the advantages of technology. I think most of us are well aware of the dangers, and that's one of the reasons for writing the book. But there are some huge advantages as well. And in terms of the pandemic, that's how we've been able during lockdown to keep in touch with family and friends, to um, go to church online, to um, work. Most grandparents now have become tech wizards overnight, being able to connect with grandchildren. So um, that has been vital. But also in terms of our young people, it's enabled them to keep social lives ticking over. For our teenagers, they're at a particular age when they are trying to establish their identity away from us, their parents. And so smartphone enables them to do exactly, exactly that. Loads of advantages for uh, children with additional needs. Many parents who parent children with additional needs will will know that and yeah just all the kind of well rehearsed advantages that that we know at the flick of a switch or the touch of a screen we can now find information about anything and all in real time you know the how your football team's doing or looking up some date for your history homework or something to do with science and all at our fingertips and and i think also our young people are much more globally and socially aware than many of us were at their age and again that plays into that enabling them to to be informed and to engage so loads of advantages but many many dangers as well and that's the task for us as parents to navigate our way through and equip our children to do that no it's brilliant and obviously as grandparents too i was interested in your stat about the number of grandparents who are carers of children. Yes. And so grandparents then have to manage. I actually look after um, one of my grandchildren one day a week now. And we have to manage what the parents' view of technology in the home might be and what we want want it to be in our home and just manage that that relationship well. Some of the um, stuff that's available for young children is completely brilliant. But I think the danger is we use it as a babysitter, we maybe put it on and we forget just how long um, they've been watching it. And the infinite scroll means that we can go from one YouTube thing to another, to another, to another. And before we know it, they're looking at something that we never intended them to look at in the first place. I I was amused by the quote, uh, information overload can be confusing and harmful, uh, which comes from Conrad Gessner. Writing in 1565, Uh, obviously there's a sense that new technology will always have an element of challenge to it, I guess. And we must be careful not to be just alarmed because we are the age we are. There's always been a new generation of technology which has affected people. That is right. I love that quote. And things like the printing press, when that was invented, people were up in arms about that. Um, Television, I mean, all kinds of things. But I do think we're in a different situation now. So in terms of new technology, in the book, I talk about two different categories of people. So there are the digital visitors. And that, by and large, is parents who use technology as a tool. So we might go on to uh, go online and do a supermarket order and come off, might go back on and um, send an email and come off again. And then the other category are called digital 
residents and they basically live their life online. They Life is digital by default. And in relation to technology, by and large, parents will be visitors and our young people will be residents. I do think that the pandemic has changed that. And I think the edges are blurred. But inevitably, our children are always going to be a step ahead of us. And the fact that technology is developing at such a fast pace and we can be in touch anytime, any place, 24-7, I think creates advantages, but some big dangers that we've not seen before. So you write about three styles of parenting, uh, which I thought was really helpful. Maybe you could outline them and we can discover which we think we are and indeed whether we're the same as our spouse. Yeah, so experts agree that there are generally three styles of parenting. And this isn't just in relation to how we manage technology. This is how we parent across the board. So at one end of the spectrum is the permissive parent. Now, permissive parents are laissez-faire, anything goes, anytime, any day, very few rules, any rules that there are, there are no consequences if they are crossed. Now, the disadvantage to this style of parenting is that our children don't feel secure. They need boundaries, if only for security. And so that is one end of the spectrum. The advantage of that is that they they have lots of room for creativity and independence. Then the right the other end is the authoritarian parent. Now that's much more the sergeant major, loads of rules about everything. So screen time would be, you know, you're allowed 10 minutes of television from 5.03 to uh, 5.13. Once you've done your homework, you would earn screen time, maybe for doing jobs in the house by the minute. And every single one of the rules about anything and everything is enforced uh, regardless. And the good thing for this style of parenting for children is that they know exactly where they stand. They know what's allowed and what isn't allowed, but there is no room for creativity and independence and for them to discover things themselves. And so what we want to aim for as parents is is in the middle of those two, which is called the assertive style. And what that means is that there there are rules, but only about things that really matter. As few rules as possible in line with our family values. And and then with those things that we think are important, we enforce them and we make sure that we're consistent. We say what we mean, we mean what we say. Now, inevitably, I'm a parent and I have definitely often said yes to things I shouldn't have done and enforced things I shouldn't have done. And we, we we will get it wrong. But if we can just keep that in mind that the assertive style of parenting. It's been shown by loads of uh, researchers to be the best way to to bring up confident, um, well-adjusted children who understand the security of boundaries. So that would be, yeah, that's the styles of parenting. No, I think that's really helpful. And uh, clearly when it comes to this kind of area, one of the temptations is to say, right, this is too dangerous, too too alarming, and to be a bit draconian in our measures as parents, if you like, the authoritarian style that you, you mentioned. I mean, you look at a number of topics in your book. Which, which concerns you most um, of all of them? Yeah, I think probably the one that I, have, I was most shocked when I researched was pornography. The young age at which so many children are accessing porn, often they're not looking at it. Um, they're 
on a computer without the, the right protections in place. I think the average age now for children stumbling across porn is 11 years old. And often it, it might be in someone else's home or, um, again, you know, they're not actually looking for this stuff. It's, it's found them. Um, and there's been a really high incidence of that uh, during lockdown when many children have been um, on their own, on screens, unsupervised. So I think that's one that causes me most concern in terms of our children's well-being. And probably alongside that, the one that causes most parents um, uh, blood pressure to rise is the sheer amount of time that our young people are spending looking at a glowing screen. And inevitably in lockdown, that had to be the case. Um, so I think, yeah, in terms of those two things, there's, there's three areas that I cover in the book, all beginning with the letter C. So one is, is conduct. So that's uh, how they're behaving online. So it might be uh, things to do with bullying uh, or sexting, that sort of thing. Then contact. So who is it they're talking to online? And sadly, very often people aren't who they appear to be. So the whole issue of grooming. And then content. So, and that would be the whole area of porn or other violent and um, unsuitable content. So I think those three headings cover most of our concerns. And in the book, I've really tried to help parents navigate them and put some practical tips in their hands. Yeah, you do. And, and each chapter has uh, some parenting guides to it, which is which I think is enormously helpful. On the porn side, of course, you're talking not just about, obviously, the distaste of, of pornography itself, but also that the addictive potential of pornography is enormously high. And indeed, uh, having chatted to some uh, Christians such as uh, Gerald Coates did a tour on pornography um, concerns uh, some years ago, and he said he found you know, church leaders engaged. And uh, for some, they'd the addictive properties of pornography had actually affected their lives. And he was he was talking about um, youngsters who are involved in education who couldn't focus on their work because they were, were addicted to pornography. And so uh, it's, it's concerning for those reasons as well as the, the moral ones. Absolutely, it is. And um, in terms of you know the way our brains are structured, like you say, um, the addictive nature of it, but I think also the subtle message in our culture that that this is normal. Um, I saw a little film recently where some young people were asked about their attitude to pornography. And most of them thought it was where you go to find out about sex. And also giving young people just the wrong message um, about the sexual relationship instead of you know, parents who can be able to tell them what an amazing God-given gift it is um, and how it is about commitment and it is about love and it is about intimacy and all those good things. We've got such a good message to tell. And I think as parents, rather than just to be, no, don't look at porn, but actually to be able to talk about the positives um, in terms of the context of you know, what we believe the Bible says, then um, that's, that's a great thing that we can be doing. The um, talk about brain circuitry, et cetera, connects very uh, happily or <laughs> unhappily to social media and gaming, of course, where there's a similar element to the whole world of essentially uh, social media, that even those who frame the social media sites, such as 
Facebook, which of course is not so much for, for teens and children, but certainly things like uh, TikTok and uh, Instagram, they have a uh, they build on the pleasure seeking dimension of our brains to become somewhat addictive themselves, and of course uh, that affects very badly the the child who, if they're willing to to stand away from it, may lose out on uh, peers who are engaged in that, and uh, and they feel shunned and. And distant. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about those worlds for us. Yes. So I actually have written another book called A Mind of Their Own that links really well with Left to Their Own Devices because that's all about how we build emotional well-being in our children's lives in this age when we're seeing such a rise in anxiety and depression and mental poor health. And is I feel there's no it's no coincidence that the incidence of uh, our ill ill health, ill mental well being, um, began at the same the same year um, that the smartphone was created, and I do think the selfie culture has something to do with that. So the pressure that our young people are under to create an identity that is way different from the reality of their lives, and post it, and then they look at other people's posts and they forget that. They have probably edited and filtered their photographs 20 times and it bears no relation to reality, but they look at that and then they feel that they've got to match up to that. So they change their profile and our young people are under such pressure with that and seeing a different identity than than the real one. And I think, again, as parents, just to be able to tell our children that they're loved and accepted for who they are, that they have a God-given identity, that they don't have to create uh, one on social media, again, is a really good thing that we can be doing. So yeah, the whole social media thing and the fact when we were just talking then about the, the brain and the neuroplasticity of the brain means that our brains are, are wired to change, which is good news and bad news. I think it's when the Bible talks about the renewal of our minds. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in the Bible. So the good news is we can change and change for the better. But our brains are programmed also. And we are, particularly our young people, are looking for affirmation. And so they're measuring their worth and their identity by the number of likes, the number of followers they have. And then our brains rewire to then to want that more and to um, we get more and then they want more again. And so again, just really, really, I think, challenging time uh, for our young people to be able to stand apart from that and um, to use social media well. And if I've understood it correctly, this is all at a time when a teenage brain is developing massively, of course, but is lacking sometimes the rational dimension that uh, comes when you're ad- adults. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about that, uh, Catherine. Yeah, I think any parents of teenagers, this might be good news. I remember one mum, when I explained this to her, she said, it's such a relief to know it's not just, uh, it's not just my fault, but it's not all his fault either. <laughs> and so basically our brains, we, scientists used to believe that um, our brains were fully formed uh, when we were quite young, but now they've realized actually they continue to grow and develop. And there's a big burst of activity and development around the teenage years. Um, one expert called it a, a, it's like a rewiring upgrade and it makes them um, more efficient and faster. But they're very, they don't, it doesn't all develop 
at the same time. And so the very last bit to develop is the bit at the very front of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And that's the bit that is responsible for making long-term logical decisions, for weighing up consequences. And the bit that um, is developed before that, um, the amygdala, that's the bit that deals with emotion and impulse and risk-taking. And so our teenagers' brains basically are going to be programmed much more to that impulsive behavior, pleasure-seeking behavior, simply because the bit of their brain that helps them put the brakes on just isn't yet properly formed. And so just knowing that can help us as parents as we try and talk to our teenagers um, about this whole area of making wise, responsible choices. And, And just to say, that's our goal as parents, because there's going to be a day when we're not there at their shoulder. So our, our long-term goal is to help them make wise decisions uh, rather than us just making their world smaller and doing it for them. Catherine, if you were seeking to say mentor someone maybe in their mid to late teens through this kind of world, maybe they've already got a smartphone, they've already engaged in some of this stuff, what would be the kind of things you'd be asking and saying to them that might enable them to uh, navigate this world as maybe seeking to follow Jesus within it all. I appreciate not all uh, teens will be at that point, but imagine just someone who's serious about faith. They know they're a Christian and they're thinking crumbs. This is a bit of a minefield. Uh, should I uh, avoid it completely? Should, should I avoid certain kinds of things? What, what would be the kind of advice you'd give them? Yeah, so I think, well, one of the things just just on that is that one of the things I say to families, and I think this would be part of the conversation with a young person, is to create what I call a family media agreement. So basically, as a family, sit down with um, your whole family. So um, teenagers, little ones, parents, and talk about what are your ground rules going to be for your use of technology. So being intentional, making those decisions up front. And um, the deal with the family media agreement is that everyone has a say, and then everyone, including the parents, um, abides by it. So things like, and I, these are the kind of ground rules I would be suggesting to a young person. So don't have your phone at the meal table. Don't charge your phone in the bedroom at night. Don't make it the last thing that you look at at night and the first thing that you pick up in the morning. Um, in relation to those family agreements, it, it, some people have three columns. So they would say, um, first of all, yes, you can do that. Middle column, ask us first. Third column, don't even think about it. Um, and that's just a helpful framework to, to navigate that. But in relation to young people, I would say there's a little phrase, um, and these young people probably won't be parents themselves, but parent your phone. So you be the one that's in charge. You decide when it gets up, when you put it to bed. You decide what things you're going to allow in, what platforms uh, you think are going to be helpful. Um, I would say be accountable to somebody in terms of the kind of things you look at. Um, There are some great, great uses out there. There's some great games that are really just different avenues for storytelling. We haven't touched much on gaming and that's a huge subject in itself and a whole chapter on that. But there's some great Christian resources as well um, that help us pray, that help us read the Bible, um, podcasts. So I would say take a holistic view. 
but be in charge, make those intentional choices and be accountable to somebody in the way that, that you do that. Yes, thank you. And uh, very helpfully, your book looks at uh, gaming and indeed suggests um, that parents themselves could get engaged in some of the games and actually have quite a bit of fun or at least quite a bit of insight into the world of the gamer that um, it means that you know they can enjoy stuff as well. Yeah, I had a go playing a game um, which was about a girl who, uh, she's a refugee and you have to actually help her in real time um, leave her country and um, get to somewhere that, that is safe. And I was surprised at how entertaining it was, how informative, um, how moving and educational. And so there are lots of games. I think I would would have been inclined to just put all gaming in one box and um, think it wasn't it wasn't a great use of time. But actually, I've discovered that there's a great medium for for storytelling, for creativity, for information, for all those all those different things. But again, along with all these different things we've been talking about, the the key for parents is depending on the age of their child, but to have their eyes on and to be aware of what's going into their phone and what things they're looking at and what kind of games they're playing and then talk to them about it and be be engaged well Catherine, thank you for your insights today obviously hopefully this has whetted people's appetite to get a copy of the book they really need to uh, to get the full benefit of course of the kind of topics that you cover um so it's it's Catherine with a k and two a's um, so Catherine Hill. Uh, so remind us where you can get uh, both this book and the book on the mind. Yes, yeah, so probably all good bookshops, um, but from Muddy Pearl, the publishers, uh, from their website and also from Care for the Family. Okay, so um, just a reminder then of the uh, title of the book, uh, Left to Their Own Devices with a question mark, Confident Parenting in a Post-Pandemic World of Screens. And the book on the mind, Catherine, was called the book on the mind it's called um yes a mind of their own uh, uh building your child's emotional well-being in a post-pandemic world and they they really do go together um there's huge in, in a good way huge overlap um in terms of our children's mental well-being and both yeah got some really fun cartoons in them lots of practical tips and i hope uh give parents confidence to to be on the front foot and to equip our children with wisdom thanks Catherine, so much Thank you. That was my conversation with Catherine Hill, UK Director of Care for the Family. Parenting is very much a leadership role. Uh, And the book that she has written includes the quote, Before I got married, I had six theories about raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. If you're a parent, you can maybe relate to this. Many leaders I meet would say that managing and leading in the home is one of the toughest things they do. So why not get a copy of uh, Catherine's book, A Mind of Their Own, and Left to Their Own Devices, the one we looked at in the show. I assure you I'm not being paid commission to say that. All that remains is for me, Andy Peck, to say goodbye and remind you that you have influence where God has placed you. May you use it wisely. Thank you, Andy, for bringing us that great interview this week on the Profile Podcast. This show is brought to you by the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you enjoyed this episode, you are sure to love the magazine, which features news, analysis, opinion on all that God is doing in the UK church and beyond. 
Check out brand new articles published every day on the biggest issues facing the church and the world at premierchristianity.com. We'll be back on Friday with another in-depth conversation with a leading Christian right here on the Profile Podcast. Join us then.